Would you believe it's the, it was the 30th of August when I last preached on 1 John 5? It's been a while, isn't it? We're picking it up again today. We might just finish 1 John before Christmas. Ah, my nose is running. Last week, I took a morning out to look at the blood of Jesus, and I, I, I thank God that a number of you really helped by that. But it wasn't unconnected, actually. It leads us straight back to where we left off in 1 John 5. I'm going to do John 5, verse 6 to verse 13 today. I'm sorry, jumping in rather than going back over 4 and 5, but 4 and 5 are about overcoming the world, yes? Who is it who overcomes the world? He believes that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. This is the one, it's speaking of Jesus, who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not with the water only, but with the water and with the blood. It is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. This is called the witness, or the witnesses, but really there's one witness who brings three pieces of evidence. Faith depends upon evidence and testimony. People talk about blind faith. No, faith isn't blind. Faith has seen the truth and removed blindness. You were blind, but now you see. Blind faith is not a biblical expression, and it's actually unhelpful. Faith, by the working of the Holy Spirit, has caused you to see the truth. And you see the evidence, and you get it, and you believe it. Faith depends upon something that has been testified to you. It's been declared to you, been shown to you, been revealed to you by the Spirit. In parts of the so-called Islamic nations, this week, I am convinced, because the stories come out again and again, people have had dreams and visions in which Jesus himself has spoken to them. And they have come to faith in him. Faith depends upon testimony, upon evidence. By the way, if you still read the King James, and yet he's in here, he still does, you'll see that there is a chunk that is missing from the version I'm reading to you because there's a bit in the King James that says there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and there are three that bear witness on earth, the, spirit, the, the, the water, the blood, and the Spirit. I'm afraid those words aren't in any old Greek manuscript at all. They were added by, in Latin manuscripts many years later. They're not part of the original scriptures. John didn't write them. And the doctrine of the Trinity doesn't suffer one bit by us growing up and admitting that. They're not part of the original scriptures. Faith depends upon evidence and testimony. Now John is an eyewitness to Jesus. Do you remember? He was the, he was the disciple who leaned his head on Jesus' chest at mealtimes as they, as they kind of reclined around the table. He'd seen Jesus be baptized in the Jordan. He'd seen Jesus transfigured, the glory of God shining out through Jesus. It didn't come upon him. What was in him shot out. He'd seen Jesus on the cross. He was the only disciple, as far as we know, the only male disciple, plenty of women there, but only John, at the cross of Jesus. He'd seen it all. And yet he calls here some witnesses. Even though he'd walked alongside Jesus, eaten beside him, slept in the same room, he calls some witnesses. doesn't rely upon himself as a witness. He calls three witnesses. Now, interestingly, in the Bible, to prove any case, you have to bring two or three witnesses. 
under the law. You couldn't convict someone of a crime, whether it was blasphemy or murder or anything, unless two or three eyewitnesses swore they saw it happen. And if they lied, they got killed. The punishment for perjury was to bear the punishment that you were trying to put on someone else. They were, they were stoned to death instead. Two or three witnesses. And interestingly, when God makes some promises or calls, makes some serious oaths, one of the promises he made was that he was going to destroy Israel and, 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 and exile Judah and destroy Jerusalem. So, so when he made serious statements, he did this. He often used this expression. I call heaven and earth to witness. In other words, I can't rely on any human being to be a witness to this, so I'm calling heaven and earth to witness this. Angelic beings and all human beings, you might say. John calls three witnesses, the spirit, the water, and the blood. He calls them in the order, water, blood, and then spirit. But then he, afterwards he says spirit, water, and blood. Let's go back. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not by the water only, but with the water and with the blood. Now, let me tell you, that's one of the verses in the Bible that people have found the most difficult over the centuries, and they've come up with some fantastic ideas as to what that means. And some of them really are fantastic. They are, like, weird. I want to take a straightforward approach, which is generally the best way to handle Scripture. And point out that John is calling witnesses. He's he's pointing to two things by which Jesus came to us. All right? What two events in the life of Jesus that John saw is he calling as, you know, I saw it, but but the, the, the events themselves were seen by the people. These events in the life of Jesus witnessed to. To me, it's, you know, and to, I didn't make this up. I learned this from commentators. I worked it through. Well, let's take them to, where was water involved? The baptism of Jesus. Where was blood involved? The crucifixion of Jesus. The witnesses John calls are the baptism of Jesus and the death of Jesus. And John was the only eyewitness to both events. Sadly, all the male apostles but John chickened out of following Jesus, at least to the foot of the cross. And by this time, John is an old man, he's probably up in his 80s, and it's somewhere around AD 80. Lots of stuff has happened, lots of history has gone by. And in those years, as far as we know, according to, to, to church legends and church history, every one of the apostles had been killed but John. Martyred for their faith. John is the only, perhaps now, the only surviving eyewitness to the resurrection of Jesus. So he's gathering the witnesses to leave something that lasts beyond his life. John saw Jesus come up from the water of Jordan, John the Baptist standing next to Jesus, the water still running from the face of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit descending upon him in the form of a dove, and he heard the Father speak from heaven over his dear Son. John saw Jesus die on the cross in nakedness and blood. John saw the Lord alive from the dead and saw him go to the Father. The Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead and the Spirit continues to testify to the risen living Jesus Christ. So John uses this language. 
that the Spirit, the water, and the blood all testify and are in agreement concerning the Lord Jesus. I made a note for myself. Why doesn't John mention the transfiguration? Because there are only three of them that saw that. Only three. Peter, James, and John. And the only one surviving is John. So John concentrates on two events which were public events. Crowds saw Jesus baptized. There were crowds of people around Jordan intrigued and interested in this, in, in this John the Baptist character. There were crowds of people around the cross. Many had come to mock him. If you're the Son of God, come down. And so, crowds of people saw Jesus baptized and Jesus crucified. Why does he argue this way? Well, there's a reason for that, and it's called heresy. In the time of John, there was a notable false teacher called Cerinthus or Corinthus, and he started off something or that became later known, and nowadays we've got elements of that in things like Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, and so on. It's that Jesus isn't really God and man. And what what John is answering here is those who said Jesus was just an ordinary man and, and at the, his baptism obviously something happened so what happened was the divine Christ came upon him but because God can't die that divine Christ must have left him before he got nailed to the cross right and how many of you know that people say you know, it wasn't really God on the cross yes that was my God on the cross Jesus is truly God and truly man. And so John says, this Jesus came by water and by blood. He came to it and through it. Both as God and as man. There's many religions today who will not accept this statement, which we've picked up already from 1 John. Jesus Christ is God in flesh. God become human. And if you don't accept that, you will die in your sins. So he's dealing with a current emergency, but it isn't just history. We've got the same kind of false teaching around to this day. And some of it's a lot closer to home than the Mormons and the JWs have to tell you. Get this understanding of who Jesus is wrong and you, you, you're wasting your time believing anything else. See, I thought, I, it's all up there. Let me read it through bit by bit. It looks a lot. I know it does. This is Jesus. Eternal God in flesh. Not just taking on an outward appearance of humanity, becoming truly human so that he could suffer and feel pain and face temptation just as we do. You cannot say to him, you don't understand. It's a lie. He does because he's taken on our humanity. Eternal God in flesh, born of the Virgin, truly man. Truly God. He lived amongst us. He fulfilled the law. He died on a cross. 
He was laid in a tomb. He was raised after three days. He ascended to the throne of God. He's the giver of the Holy Spirit. He's reigning now as Saviour and Lord and is returning as judge. Okay? That's in notes. Don't worry about trying to write it all down. This is God's testimony concerning his son. This is the gospel. It's what God has said concerning him. What God has made happen concerning him. And God commands all men everywhere to repent and believe this gospel. To believe in Jesus. It's not, I've got a nice idea for you. God commands every person to believe this gospel. So John goes on, if we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For the testimony of God is this, that he has testified concerning his son. Now surely the word of God is greater than the word of man. The evidence of God, the testimony of God is greater. You're looking at me like you're not sure. Listen, my friends, that's the only way you can deal with with the things that trouble you and distress you. You take him to God whose testimony is greater. One of those old stomping gospel songs that people used to sing. You know, whose word are you going to believe? We will, de- we will believe, the, we will believe the something of the Lord. The report of the Lord. Whose report will you believe? We will believe the report of the Lord. Okay, people have fun with these things. The testimony of God is greater. Therefore, if God says it, I'm wrong. If God says this and I think differently, I'm wrong. Whether it's about who I am in Christ or whatever else. If I say I don't feel like that, I don't think like that, I need to catch up with the truth. The testimony of God is greater. But in particular, he's talking about the testimony of his son. See, it is baptism. Let's come to it now. The Father spoke very rarely in all human history as the voice of God the Father rung out. He has usually revealed himself and spoken through his Son. But there were two occasions. One was private to Jesus himself. Two public occasions when God spoke over his Son so people could hear. At the baptism, God said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And at the transfiguration, not so public, three, three apostles. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And then by the resurrection of Jesus, God has spoken to the whole world. This is my dear son. Not in words, but in powerful action. Let me show it to you, Romans 1.4. Jesus was declared the Son of God with power, with authority, that's what the word means, by the resurrection from the dead. God declared, this is my Son. He has all authority now. He reigns as King. And He did it by raising Him from the dead, through the Holy Spirit. So it says here, the resurrection of the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. In other words, the Holy Spirit raised Jesus from the dead. At Jesus' baptism and transfiguration, the, Holy, the Father spoke to a crowd or to a few, but he's spoken to the whole world, born and unborn at that time, in raising Jesus from the dead. This is God's testimony to the world concerning his Son, Jesus. It's the testimony of the Spirit who raised him from the dead and now speaks of him constantly 
repeatedly, witnesses to the risen Jesus. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Does anybody understand that phrase without me explaining it? How many of you know you're a child of God? How many of you know your sins are forgiven for Jesus' sake? You have the testimony within yourself. You already have a witness in you. It's through the Spirit that these things are true. The one who believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. We were talking men's group on Thursday. The, the two things that people from other religions can't deal with, they, 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 can't, they can't argue with you about. Number one, the truth about Jesus. You just might say that plainly. Number two, the reality of what he's done for you. Your testimony, your witness. I know him because he did this in me. I know him because he's rescued me. I know him because he's changed me. Those who believe have the witness at work within themselves. We have this internal affirmation by the Holy Spirit that Jesus is our Savior from sins. That God is our Father, that we are his child. Okay, just have fun. Let me read you some of Romans 8, shall I? I won't put it up there. It's too long. I'm just going to read it to you. Romans 8, verse 12. So then, brothers and sisters, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, that's sinful human nature, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God... These are sons of God. You have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. A couple of Wesley's old hymns put it this way. His spirit answers to the blood what Jesus has done, finished work of the cross, and tells me I am born of God. Or an even longer one. Great old hymn. Spirit of faith come down, reveal the things of God, and make to us the Godhead known and witness to the blood. Tis thine the blood to apply, and give us eyes to see. Who did for every sinner die, hath surely died for me. The assurance of forgiveness, the assurance of eternal life, rests upon the Spirit confirming in you what Jesus has done for you. And it's about the cross. It's about the blood. The Spirit confirming in you all that Jesus has already done. For you. But listen to this. Refusal to believe the gospel, rejecting God's testimony, makes God out to be a liar. 1 John 5, the rest of verse 10. The one who does not believe God has made him a liar. How many of you know that's a serious business here? Because he has not believed in the testimony that God has given concerning his son. See, people go around with this kind of attitude. Oh, I, I, I make up my own mind. I, you know, I think I know something and I, 
I've got my beliefs or whatever. I'm a master of my own life and, I'm, and of my own destiny. I'll decide what I want to when I want to. So, you know, the Frank Sinatra song comes up again and again, I did it my way, you know, which for someone who's not a Christian, that's a good, that's a good funeral song, I should think, yeah. You see, in not believing, you have made a choice. You have made a choice. You're choosing darkness and death over light and life. You're choosing to believe a lie rather than God, and you're making God a liar. And you don't have to be an outright God-hating atheist. By the way, modern atheists, there's two things you can say about them. Have you heard this before? Modern atheists, the ones who are really fierce, number one, they don't believe there's a God. Number two, they hate him. <laughs> they do. They're fierce, man. They say, get out of yourself. What's the matter with you? But all you have to do to be an unbeliever is simply fail or refuse to believe. You don't have to be a God-hater to qualify. You simply don't believe. You avoid every opportunity to discover the truth. The damning sin is unbelief. Let's, let's do a bit of hard work here for a moment. Okay? Someone's committed murder. Justice catches up with them, they serve their sentence. But can God forgive that? Amen. Hallelujah. We're in the right church. Can God forgive a rapist? Yes. yes. Do you know the one thing that God cannot and will not forgive? Choosing not to trust his sin. That's the damning sin. Many of you know 1 John, sorry, not 1 John, John 3.16. Yes? Should we go there? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Next verse. For God did not send the Son into the world to judge the world. He will, but he didn't then. But that the world might be saved through him. Next verse. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already. Because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This isn't waiting to judgment day to find out. This is true now. It's already true. Condemnation removed. Guilt taken away from those who trust in Jesus. Guilt stays on those who do not trust in Jesus. Not believing in Jesus, not trusting and obeying him is a life and death issue. John Stott, in his commentary, had this phrase. I like this phrase. Unbelief is not a misfortune to be pitied. It is a sin to be deplored. Why is not believing such a big issue? Because you choose your wisdom over God's. You choose a truth that you prefer to God's truth. Because you set your will over God's. Because you act as if you're your own master of your own life and destiny. Because you act as if you are God. And you make him alive. Let's move on. 
verse, verse 11. Got to get to verse 13. I've got a few minutes. The testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in his Son. Do you know that you have eternal life? Okay, the front, no, the front row knows that they have eternal life. I'd like, I'd, I'd like the love to spread a bit further. I did not say that. Do you know that you have eternal life? Let me give you again my definition of eternal life, because it's not just living forever. In fact, if living forever is living like this forever, I don't think I want to. To live with pain and sorrow and aging and... Okay, I've depressed you now, so let's move. (laughs) It's a new life which starts now and only gets better later. We live in the now and not yet of the kingdom of God and of eternal life. We now have eternal life, but we can't have it fully because we still live with a sinful nature. We still live with weak bodies, which are subject to to disease and death. But one day, post the uh, resurrection day, when Jesus gives us glorified bodies made like his, we will have eternal life to the full. It's quality as well as quantity. It's not just getting to live forever. It's getting to live... Let me give you my definition of eternal life again. Eternal life is life from God, life in God, and life with God. It's the life of God. It's God's life. It's, it's, it, it's the life of eternity, the life of the eternal one. He doesn't just give you life. He gives himself to you as your life. For me to live is Christ. To die is Gain! Okay, I'm getting a bit excited. (laughs) And eternal life is found only in Jesus. It's not on offer anywhere else or through anybody else. It's not about being religious. It's not in some rituals and routines. It's not in self-control or good character or acts of mercy, which are all good, but that, that is not eternal life. Eternal life is in Jesus. It's in having him. Most religions try to gain future reward by present behavior. The Bible tends to call that works. You're gaining a future reward by the way you behave yourself now. Christianity, the gospel of Jesus, turns that upside down. It says, when you have received his life, these things start to work. Just as when you've got a good root on a plant, it produces the right leaves and the right fruit. Christianity starts with rootedness. That you are in Jesus and Jesus is in you and his life produces life and fruit and good works. And and teaches you to live a disciplined and godly life and so on. Eternal life is found only in Jesus. When you receive this life from him and in him, the fruit of character and behavior and good works started to develop and grow just as, you know, I mean, most things we grow that we want fruit from, we have to pay a bit of attention to. We learned that lesson badly in in our household because we had a plum tree and the birds ate all the little plums. So you've got to nip the tree to keep your cherries and your plums from those pesky birds. We like the birds, but they're not going to have my plums next But in Christ, fruitfulness is the produce of life that's at work. Religion says change your life and find your way to God. 
the gospel says God has found you and offers you life. See how backwards it is? I was thinking the other day, almost every false religion is an ism and Christianity is the only itty there is. There's a clue in that somewhere. This is Christianity, itty, those are isms. Anyway, the gospel says Jesus alone is the way to God. Receive him and your life will change and you will be living the life that God gives you through Jesus. In fact, this is what it says next. I think I've preached it before I've put it up there. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. Everyone who trusts and obeys the Lord Jesus, who has the Son, has this life. It's the life of God. It's eternal life. Now, if that's news to you this morning, I'm wondering where I've been and where you've been the last few months and years. But maybe this morning you're going to catch it in a new way. Catch it fresh. Just as yesterday was a remarkable day for many of our women. And they got something. They received something. I pray that you might receive this truth deep in your heart right now. He who has the Son has the life. And the stuff that people tell you you need that you don't need it's like the old gospel song says, if I got Jesus, I got all I need. Yes. It doesn't quite say that. Really. <laughs> my, my gospel song expert will be <laughs> We share a love of gospel music. That's right. He who has the Son has the life. And he'll supply everything else you need, but that's not the big issue. That's not a big deal. If you have him, you have the life. See, you, you know, some of us might get up tomorrow morning aching and complaining and it's Monday. You need this verse kind of somewhere on your way to the, your bleary-eyed journey to the coffee machine. Or to the bathroom. You need this verse somewhere around. He who has the sun has the life. You don't need to get it, you've got it. Yeah, two or three questions. Our son Luke has four espressos before he goes to work. I showed him how to use a coffee machine. There's been no stopping him since. But here's the serious side of it. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the light. And there's no grey area here. There's no middle ground. You're either alive to God in Jesus or you're dead to God and without Jesus. That is true of you and I here this morning. It's also true of everyone around us, including people who are very important to us. It's true. This statement covers every human being. They either have received eternal life, the life of God, through trusting and obeying Jesus Christ, or they do not have eternal life because they have no connection to life. They are disconnected from Jesus. And in the eternal ages, every person on this planet will either continue to have eternal life in and with Jesus, sharing in God's presence, 
in eternal joy and fellowship. All they will endure what I will call for the sake of time this morning an endless living death without him. You know, people like to compare religions, you know, comparative religion and kind of thing. And I, I'll do that with people, you know. If I get sitting in a, a sauna talking to, to someone from another religion, I'll unenjoy the discussion. And, it's, you know, they, they often very much enjoy the, the opportunity to ask a Christian what Christians believe because they don't know. Very often. So I'm very glad to, to do that. But you know what? If all we do is compare religions or we just compare our faith with one another, we're missing the point. The real issue is it's all about Jesus. It's all about him. That's the real deal. And it's the one that really cuts through and ends all the debates in you. Think about it. All those religions, Judaism, Buddhism, Hinduism, Sikhism, Shintoism, Islam, which is also known as Muslim, uh, uh, Mohammedanism, Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses, which is also called Jehovah's Witnessism, by the way. And liberal Christianity, which isn't an ism, but never mind. Measure each of them by this rule, all right? It's called the gospel. Do they offer Jesus as the Son of God come in flesh, come by water and by blood, risen from the dead, reigning as Lord? Is that the message? Or is it self-improvement so you might get somewhere? In other words, do they have the Son of God or don't they have the Son of God? Remember, Jesus claimed to be the way, the truth, and the life, and that no one comes to the Father but through him, John 14, 16. The Father's commanded the world to trust him and obey him. So to choose another way or another so-called truth or to seek life anywhere else is to make God a liar. Let's not be talking about our faith, which I think sometimes gets into boasting. I have faith, I have this faith, I have faith. Listen, let's, let's change our language. Keep talking about Jesus. Make him the focus of your heart and of your conversation. Because it will break down every barrier, or it will raise a barrier, but that's okay. We're a where a, a smell of life to life and a smell of death to death. In other words, those who are being drawn to faith will love when you talk about Jesus and those who already hate him aren't going to be moved by you doing it. So that's okay. Don't think we're going to, you can convince everybody. And it isn't how well you argue. All right? You can get a guy with a PhD in apologetics, which is how you explain the gospel, and he will not convince someone whose heart is already hardened and his eyes are already blind. God needs to break through to bring the revelation to people. So to finish, John says, These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you may know that you have eternal life. Not guess and hope, that you may know that you have eternal life. And I haven't used the words going to heaven. I don't think, maybe I did once. This is not just about going to heaven. This is about now. Not fully now. It's a now and not yet. But even now, we know that we have eternal life. Even now, we can know the life of God, the life of Christ within us. John says, I've written this letter to you, you who believe in the name of the Son of God, to Christians, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now, that's interesting, because at the end of John's Gospel, or almost the end, 
He wrote this. Therefore, many other signs Jesus also performed in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. He doesn't use the word religion. He doesn't even use the word faith, which is the word that most people pick on nowadays. He picks the word life. Life through believing in Jesus. Life that flows from Jesus. As surely as a, a branch is connected into the, 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 uh, the stem of a tree and the, the, the root and the stem give life to that branch. And without the root and the stem, there's no life in it. So we are connected into Jesus. He's in us and we're in him. And his life fills us. He who has the Son has the life and he who does not have the Son does not have the life. This whole Bible was written to you so that you will believe in the name of the Son of God that Jesus is the Christ and that through believing you may have life in him. You may know that you have eternal life. So let me say this. If Scripture doesn't lead you day by day to more life in Jesus, change the way you you approach and handle Scripture. Don't come to it as a textbook, come to it as a meal. To be fed, to be nourished. To be fed on Christ. And if being part of this church doesn't lead you to more life in Jesus, what am I going to say? I'm going to say change the way you approach church. Come hungry. Come eager. Come on time or even early. Ready to encounter him and hear him and be filled again with him. Just as many of our women came, you know, one of the, one of the ladies was, was noted to say, I'm filled up. My answer to that is, for now. Next time you'll have a bigger appetite. <laughs> so we come always eager to be filled. And the thing about this appetite is a bit like the human appetite, sadly. The more you eat, the more you want. The more we are filled with God, the more we're filled with the life of Jesus, the more eager we are for it. The more hungry we are for Him. Come to Sunday midweek meetings looking to find more life in Jesus and share more life in Jesus. But please do, every one of us, I, I didn't want to get too down and too serious, but Every one of us needs to carry a a real and deep concern for those who do not know him. You know, I'm I'm reformed in my theology. It's called Calvinistic. People say, oh, Calvinism is, God's going to save people anyway, so don't bother about it. It's his business. Let me say to you, John Calvin would slap you in the face for saying, (laughs) probably. Say, that is not what the Bible says. We are to have compassion, pity, and those around us who do not know Christ. Some of them may be religious. Some of them may be quite moral people. They don't do a lot of good, bad stuff. But if they do not have Jesus, the Son of God, they do not have eternal life. And if they refuse to believe in him, they're making God a liar. That concern should make us passionate and persistent in prayer for them. Prayer is part of part of God's method of bringing people to his son, that we are praying for them. He uses that. He acts upon it. He depends upon it. He stirs us to do it. 
Let's also be eager to tell them, not about ourselves, but about Jesus, the Lord and giver of life. Jesus didn't come to us and die for us and rise again for us so that we would have a faith, that we would have a religion. He died that we would have his life. So how much life do you have today? That is, how much of this new week will be filled with this life of Jesus, in Jesus and for Jesus? How eager are you to have more of this life? Let's stand up, let's pray. Why don't you make your own response to the Lord Jesus right now? I can only talk about him. I can only present him to you. The Holy Spirit will at times so fasten him, Jesus, on your imagination. It's like the cinema of your heart. It's the best way to describe your imagination. That you see something of him. You see something of the cross. You see something of his kindness, of his, of his wisdom. Listen, take hold of that right now. Say, Holy Spirit, keep leading me to Jesus. Keep feeding me on Jesus. Let him be the source and the center of my life. Not, I know we sing the songs. Make it your prayer right now. Jesus, be the center of my life. Jesus, be the source of my life. Jesus, let, let me know more of your life in me. And anytime I think I've enough and I'm full, teach me that you're just expanding me yes. to want even more of you. Oh, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. You always delight to honor the dear Son, the Father's well-beloved one. I've sought to honor him today, I pray. Holy Spirit, you'll continue to work that into every one of our hearts. That we'll see ourselves as those who are in Christ and therefore have eternal life. No doubts about it, no, no moving away from it. Any doubt that comes, we'll, we'll treat as a, la- a lie because God's word is true. And yet, Lord, please, would you give us an increased compassion for those around us who don't know you? If they are God-haters, Lord, help us not to hate them back, but to see them as those who are lost. They are without hope. They are without God in this world and unless thing changes for them, they will be without God forever. We pray that we might have compassionate hearts because we are so filled in, with delight in what you've done for us. We want this good news to be spread far and wide, wherever it will go. We want to be like those Lepers outside the city who, when they found the food and the gold and everything else, said, should we keep this to ourselves? Should we be telling somebody? Lord Jesus, we want to be the people who are so full of joy in you, so full of what you've done for us. We don't even think twice about talking about you to someone else. Holy Spirit, fill our hearts again and again with Christ, whether it's our regular mealtimes of Sundays or midweek groups or just time on our own, you are always willing to fill us again. You're never more than a prayer of openness and asking away. How much more those fathers, wicked fathers, know how to give good gifts to their children. How much more does the Father in heaven know how to give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask it. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you come and help us and fill us again and again to lead us to trust and obey Jesus more. More, more, more. May his name be glorified. Amen.